When I was in the seventh grade, I really liked this girl, and uh, I wanted to get to know her better, and the only way to do that was to be part of one of the uh, extracurricular activities that she was part of. So I wanted to find out, you know, what did she do after school, and how can I get to know her and all that, and uh, she was only part of one, and that would have been dance class. And uh, so, you know, I, I did, I'm like, we really like this girl, dance class. But I just uh, said, all right, we're going to do this. And I actually joined the dance class uh, to get to know this girl. And um, uh, the class was okay. Leotard was a little tight, but uh, it, was, it was all right. And, um, but, you know, the weir- something weird happened. This is, this is kind of odd. That is that people that didn't know me at school started coming up to me. They're like, hey, I know who you- about you. You're the boy that takes dance class. And once I realized that's what I was becoming known for, I quickly got the girl to go out with me and then quit the class and took up something much more manly like figure skating. Um, and, uh, but it's funny that that's kind of like what, what, you know, like passion or whatever you want to call it, excitement will do. I mean, it'll just make you do crazy things. When my wife and I um, were just dating, she was, in, uh, she was going to college in, uh, in Tallahassee. And so she called me one day, one morning, and uh, she was really sick, and it turned out to actually be pneumonia that she had. We just didn't know it at the time. But I, she said, I, I'm, I'm sick. And I said, listen, I'm coming to get you. So, I mean, I called my boss, and, you know, I was in school, and I told my teachers I wasn't going to be out a couple of days, told my boss at work that I was going to be out a couple of days, grabbed whatever money I had in the bank, took that out, which I'm sure it was like, you know, 30 bucks or something. Uh, and, and so grabbed it all and um, drove 450 miles from here uh, to Tallahassee, got my, my girl, and, um, and turned around and then drove back. All, so 900 miles in one day. Uh, my friends, that's love. That's what love does. And uh, now the weird part is, that's where love starts. At least that's maybe what we should say. Because I remember after we had been married for about a year, we were living in this really small apartment, uh, our, our first apartment, and uh, we... Uh, we're, you know, yeah, you have this moments like, you know, you're, where, you know, like you're married and you're going to bed. And so she's in bed or he's, you know, and so you're just about ready to get in bed. Like your, your pajamas are on and you're just about ready to lay down. And then at that moment, the other, the person who's already in bed asks you for something. You know, you're familiar with that moment. Yeah, that's like pretty much like 90% of what marriage is right there. Uh, so anyway, so I'm just getting into bed and, uh, and she goes, oh, Bob, would you mind getting me a glass of water? And I was like, oh, you know, you would have thought she asked me for a kidney. Uh, and, and, and I remember, like, thinking after that, like, how, where did I go from, I'll drive 900 miles for you, baby, you know, to a bottle, of, I, I wouldn't walk nine feet to get her, because it was like a really small apartment, so it's like literally like, now I'm in the kitchen. I mean, it's like really, it was, it was small. So... And, and it's just, it's weird, it's weird, something happens. Something can happen in, in any relationship that you go from passion to function. And it's this really odd thing that, that it can happen in any relationship, relationship with people, family, husbands, wives, but it can happen even in our relationship with God. And in fact, I would contend that it can especially happen in our relationship with God. Because there was this moment, and those of us who have been Christians for a while, um, that those of you who just became a Christian, this is going to sound a little weird, but um, some of us who have been Christians for a while, um, we, there was this moment where we had, there was so much enthusiasm 
there we were so excited. We were just our faith was childlike because, you know, we were just we were on fire. There was nothing that could stop us, quiet us, quench us. You know, I mean, and anything and everything we knew was a work of God. You know, like we go to the mall and we get a front spot and we're like, Lord, I know it's you and the last will be first and this is it. You know, we know that. And then there's, you know, you go to Publix to buy bread and then it's like you go down the bread aisle and there's only one loaf of bread that you like and you're like, God, you even care about the little things and you pepperage farms for me, bread of life coming to me. You know, and you get, there's this whole thing, you got four Bible verses that you know, but you're shouting them all. And people in, people at pubs look, this is that weirdo. And uh, so all that, you know what I mean? But you knew it was all a divine setup that God was doing to show you how much he loved you. And, and then, um, you know, but there's this enthusiasm that we have when we, we first come to know Jesus, that um, we're like kids who've been told that they're going to Disney the next day. Um, when I tell my kids that we're going to Disney the next day, I mean, they want to tell anyone and everyone, you know, like, telemarketers will call the house and, hello, you know, is this, I don't know why I tell you this, but whenever a telemarketer calls my house, if they're in English, I talk in Spanish. And uh, if, they're, if they call in Spanish, I only speak English. And um, number one, I don't have to do survey. Number two, it's really a lot of fun. So try it out. Uh, and then when they're bilingual, I just hang up. And, uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> but, when the, but if those people call, my daughter would be like, tell them we're going to Disney tomorrow. And I'm like, I'm not telling a stranger we're not going to be home. You know, so, but, I mean, she just wants to tell everybody. You know, and then they'll get there and they are just excited because nothing can move fast enough. You know, the monorail can't move fast enough. You know, after you park that little boat that takes you, you know, from the parking lot where you have to give up, you know, you have to put like a second mortgage on your house to get in. And then to where you actually get into Disney World, that thing can't move fast enough. And, um, but you know, there, there's something when, when you get there, there's just like, with kids, there's this level of excitement. But if you've been there for, if you're an adult and you've been there for a while, maybe you're like me. I mean, I, I gosh, I, I go to Disney World, you know, a couple times a year, and I've, I've been doing that forever since I was in high school. I, I would go, and you know, you kind of get there and you're like, you know, they really need to paint that, you know, like, and then you know they change something. Oh, I wish they wouldn't have changed that. You know, if Walt was here. Oh, place where dreams come true, right? Oh, let me lay down. You know, and you just, it's like, it's it just that you lose the excitement, the enthusiasm, the, the joy that once was there. By the way, I think this is one of the ways you know that you've changed. Uh, you've kind of gone from being a kid to being an adult. Uh, when you go to Disney, and that is when you go as a kid, it's like, I want to ride rides, I want to meet characters. Adults, they, you know, we come in and it's like, I want to sit down and I want to eat something. That's pretty much, you know... Because we get to Disney, I'm telling you, and I feel bad for my kids because I, I override everything. Um, but I'll, I'll, we'll get there and we're like, all right, let's ride, ride. Let's just, whoa. Let's sit down and have a sandwich and really think this through, you know. And then we're going to leave in like an hour, so let's not go too fast here. And, uh, but now, now here's, the, here, here's the question. The question is, and I tell you all of this because when God was going to reveal that his son had been born, I mean, this is the greatest moment in human history. When God is going to reveal, who does he tell first? I mean, think about this. He doesn't tell the religious elite. He doesn't tell the biblical scholars of the day who would know every nuance of where and when. No, here's who he tells. A bunch of kids that he knew would get excited about it. 
a bunch of kids, he finds a field, a bunch of shepherds who are keeping their flocks, who are that, in that culture, in that age, in that era, were kids, 10, 11, 12 years old, and he tells them. And my friends, that is part of the Christmas story that we miss. And if you haven't been here, or you have, or you missed, or whatever, um, we're, we're in a series that we started a couple weeks ago that we're calling Advent. And the idea is rediscover the moment that changed history. And I think one of the challenges that, that we have is that we've heard the Christmas story. So we're like, well, then there were these wise men. Oh, yeah, yeah, gold, frankincense, myrrh, Let's, can we move it along? You know, like we, we've heard it. But here's the thing, is that I want to look at Christmas through the eyes of someone else. Because you and I would all agree that many times when we go somewhere or do something with someone who hasn't experienced that before, that we, there, there's a newness and an excitement and a freshness to what it is that we're going to do or experience um, or be part of simply because we're experiencing it through the eyes of someone else. And the group that we're going to look at, these shepherds, I will admit that they get an honorable mention in the Christmas story. But truth be told, they are totally misunderstood. And these shepherds are going to teach us an incredible truth, that the Christmas story should ignite us with passion and fill us with faith and joy. But the problem is sometimes we've heard the story so many times that we can lose some of the awe and the wonder that God became a man and dwelt among us. And now here's what I want you to know is that um, if you're here and you used to be really passionate for God with a childlike faith, but now that's waned a little bit, listen, you're going to learn how to get it back. And um, if you're here and you have a relationship with God that's just white hot with passion, intensity, excitement and enthusiasm, we're going to talk to you about how to keep it that way. And maybe you're here and you don't know God at all. But we're going to talk to you as well and share with you how God wants to reveal himself to you and invite you into a relationship with him. Because these shepherds picture for us the kind of faith, the kind of life, the kind of excitement, the kind of enthusiasm, the kind of passion that we all want to have, that we all want to live. So I'm invite you to open with me to Luke chapter 2, if you would. We're going to start in verse 8 of Luke 2, and here's what it says. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood over them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that I want to show you. The first thing I want to tell you about how to have a childlike faith is this. Number one is that I need to believe that God can use me. Believe that God can use me. You see, in this culture, being a shepherd was not a glorious job. In fact, it's the job no one wanted. No one aspired to become a shepherd. They ended up being a shepherd. You were kind of forced by other members of your family to be a shepherd. Being a shepherd was kind of like, you know, going to eat at Denny's. Like nobody goes to Denny's, you end up at Denny's, right? Uh, it's usually the way it works out. And so in the same way, being a shepherd, you, you didn't go, decide to be a shepherd, you were just kind of, it was kind of forced upon you. And that, so that meant it usually fell to the youngest sibling. In fact, if uh, you, we see this in uh, the story of King David in uh, 1 Samuel 16, that Samuel goes to anoint a new king from the house of Jesse. And he says to Jesse, get all your kids together because we're going to anoint a new king. And he gets all of them together. And then he goes through all seven of these kids and it's not the one. And he says, well, what's the deal? And, and look at what he says. I put it in your notes in 1 Samuel 16. It says, then Samuel said, are these all the sons you have? 
Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said, for we will not sit down until he arrives. I mean, think about this culturally. This shepherd boy, David, is part of the family, but he doesn't even get included to when the the prophet shows up. The prophet coming to your house was a huge honor, a -a once-in-a-lifetime honor. And they don't even bother calling in the youngest son to tell him that this big honor had taken place. Um, and, And David got the job because he was the youngest. My guess is the second youngest used to have that job. Then when David was born, he's like, oh, good, now I can pass that chore on to him. And so now David has become the, uh, the, the, the shepherd. And in this day, in this culture, shepherds were about 9 to 14 years old. That's a typical uh, age for a shepherd. I was in this very field in Israel, when uh, where, what's called the shepherd's field now. It's called uh, just outside of Jerusalem. And it is... Um, this is where the angel appeared to the shepherds, this whole, this, right in this area. And uh, we get out of the van, or the bus, I should say, that, that we were in. And the first thing that I see is shepherds leading their flocks. And the shepherds were little kids. I mean, they were kids that were 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. And, you know, and it, it was incredible to me. Now, this is how, and this, we think that's unbelievable because we see 8, 9, 10-year-olds and I'm like, you know, I would never entrust a live animal to a, a child that, you know, like most kids that I see in, in the third grade or fourth grade or fifth grade. But this is how parents taught responsibility uh, for the last 2,000 years. I know today, you know, we all have kids and we're like fighting to get them to clean their rooms um, you know, and they're busy playing video games or whatever. Back then, kids were in charge of these animals, and these animals actually produced income for their family. Now, the thing that's important for us to note is that this angel is going to tell them the most important news in history, that the Savior had been born. But you have to understand, and he decides to tell shepherds, but nobody told shepherds anything because they were the bottom of the barrel when it came to the social order of the day. Right? Remember, David doesn't even, or Jesse doesn't even bother to bring his son in. So, but in fact, shepherds weren't even allowed into the temple because the priest said that they were uh, ritually unclean. And so, while nobody tells shepherds anything, these kids hear the news that the Savior's been born. And I mean, this is like the greatest news that they have ever heard, and they're totally excited about it. Now, that's the difference between kids and adults. Right? Kids hear it, they get excited about it, and they just become very, very passionate. Adults, we've got all this, all these hang-ups about stuff. You know, have you ever, uh, have you ever watched kids, um, like maybe it's the first day of school and you take your kids to school, it's like pre-K or kindergarten, first, second, third grade, something like that. Um, there's no, like, interview process about how kids are going to be friends, if they're going to be friends or not. They just get together, they start playing, hey, you want to be friends? All right, sounds good. And it's like within three minutes, like they're best friends. And they're hanging out all the time. I mean, adults, like, we do not operate like that. You know, it's like, you want to become friends? Whoa. Whoa. Slow down, psycho. You know, like, we barely know each other. Let's get a little background, personal history, credit report, then we'll talk. And, uh, but I mean, it's like a total mission, right? Kids are totally unassuming. Kids will just become friends. I mean, an adult, it's like, this guy, you know him? Yeah, we're acquaintances. How long have you known him? 25 years. We're still feeling each other out, you know. And, uh, you know, but here's the thing about kids. Kids don't see anything as above them or below them. Kids just accept things as they come. 
So, like, that's why my daughter, she, she'll be five next month. She asks me to drive our car all the time. Like, I take her to school every day. She's like, Papi, let me drive today. You sit in the back. And I'm like, how about we not do that? And she's like, I want, but I want to drive. And I'm like, number one, your feet don't reach the pedals. Which is beyond, besides the fact you don't have a license. But, like, your feet don't reach the pedals. That is the number one problem. And, uh, and so, but she, you know, and I'll ask her, like, first of all, why do you think you can drive? I say, you and Mommy do it. Doesn't look that hard. I'm like... Well, thank you for that. And, um, but here's the thing. They don't see anything as above them or below them. They just, they just, there's this belief. Kids just have this belief that it's like, yeah, I can do it. And listen, if you're going to have a childlike faith, here's what you need to have. A belief that really that God can use you. That nothing's above you. That nothing's below you. That if God can call you to do something that you really can, you really can change the world. You can change the world around you. You can, have, you can be an instrument in God's hand to see people's lives radically changed by the power of His Spirit. See, listen, one of my favorite verses is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what it says. It says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. See, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. My friends, can I share this with you? That when it comes to people that God can use, God is not looking for ability, He's looking for availability. He's looking for people that will have a childlike faith who will see an opportunity and step up and will just have this belief that says, I really do believe that God can use me. That God is looking for people. That in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 16, here's what the Bible says, that the eyes of the Lord are actually scanning the globe, looking for people whose hearts are committed to Him, are devoted to Him, that He might show Himself strong on their behalf. You see, God can do great things in and through the person who believes that God can use them. And that's what we see in the lives of these shepherds. Look at verse 9 in uh, chapter 2. Look at what it says. It says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood over them. The glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Now if you pause there and give me your attention, here's, here's the second thing I want to share with you about having a childlike faith, a passionate faith, a passionate relationship with God. The first is you've got to believe that God can use you. The second is this, is that I need a desire to know more. A desire to know more. That is, that it's not this, there's this hunger that you have to just know more. Because kids, they just, they, there's just this constant desire to know more. And my friends, what we just read is the Christmas story. This is the Christmas story. It's not a story about an overweight senior citizen who unlawfully enters people's homes and eats their food. Right? That's in dresses in red. That's not the story. Uh, this is the story. And this is how we grow. But I, actually, I had this. I, I wanted to read this to you. A physicist asked the, uh, there was the question, is there a Santa Claus? And um, this is a physicist's view of this. I thought you'd enjoy this. Check it out. 
Uh, there are 2 billion children, that is people under 18, in the world, but since Santa doesn't appear to handle Muslim, Hindu, Jewish, or Buddhist children, that reduces the workload to 15% of the total, or 378 million kids, according to the Population Reference Bureau. At an average census rate of 3.5 children per household, that's 91.8 million homes. Now, one would presume that there's at least one good child in each home. And so Santa has 31 hours of Christmas to work with, thanks to different time zones and the rotation of the earth, assuming that he travels east to west, which seems logical. This works out to 822.6 visits per second, and that is to say that for each Christian household with at least one good child, Santa has one 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 thousandth of a second to park, hop out of the sleigh, jump down the chimney, fill the stockings, distribute the remaining gifts under the tree, eat whatever snacks have been left, get back up the chimney, get back in the sleigh, and move on to the next house. Now, assuming that each of these 91.8 million stops is evenly distributed around the earth, which, of course, we know to be false, but for the purposes of our calculation, we will accept. We're now talking about 0.78 miles per household, a total trip of 75.5 million miles, not counting stops for what most of us must do at least once every 31 hours. Now, you can figure out on your own what that is. And uh, now, the payload on the sleigh adds another interesting element. Assuming that each child gets nothing more than a medium-sized Lego set, which weighs two pounds, the sleigh is carrying 321,000 tons, not including Santa, who is invariably described as overweight. 353,000 tons traveling at 650 miles per second creates an enormous air resistance. This will heat the reindeer up in the same fashion as a spacecraft re-entering Earth's atmosphere. The lead pair of reindeer will absorb 14.3 quintillion joules of energy per second each. In short, they will burst into flames almost instantaneously, <laughs> exposing the reindeer behind them and creating a definite sonic boom in their wake. The entire reindeer team will be, eva- will be vaporized within 4.26 thousandths of that same second. Santa, meanwhile, will be subject to centrifugal forces 17... Uh, 17,500 times greater than gravity. A 250-pound Santa, which seems ludicrously slim, uh, would be pinned to the back of the sleigh by 4.3 million pounds of force. In conclusion, if Santa ever did deliver presents on Christmas Eve, he's dead now. So there you go. All right. So I share that with you so you can teach your kids. All right? And um, now, back to the matter at hand which is, why did the angels, is that right? Because we're saying that kids, uh, they desire to know more, right? So I tell you this story because you want to know, right? And knowing's half the battle according to G.I. Joe. And uh, so, why, so why did the angels speak to the kids in this way? And, and if you notice, these words are carefully crafted. Now, why is it? And it's because these kids would have had the entire Hebrew Bible memorized. Remember, in that day, the, the average kid had the entire uh, Hebrew Scriptures, the old, what we call the Old Testament, memorized by age 14. Because they believe, like we believe, that these, the Scriptures are the very words of God. And so knowing God's words would be something that you take very seriously. Now, if you don't think that's possible, you ask anyone over 30. I mean, m- uh, most of my, my friends are uh, over the age of 30. I, I'm 22, but my friends are, no, are over 30. Uh, 
But here's the thing. Like any of my friends, we can recite any line from the original uh, trilogy of Star Wars at will. Drop me in any scene and we can just roll with it. Um, in fact, we even have some of the like other languages because, the, by the way, nerd alert, uh, as to like, you know, so it's like I can even do some of the Greedo stuff. And that's just that's wrong. But, um, but so, and I'm telling you, I could probably do a one man performance of any of the Star Wars films, you know, it's as but, but you just you memorize it just however that is. Now, here's the thing. I started asking because I know like if you're over 30, these are kind of the movies that shaped our generation. And so I was asking some guys and I'm like, so what are the movies that shape like this younger generation that's like, you know, 18, 20, whatever. And they're like, well, they, they don't really quote movies today. They quote YouTube videos. And I'm like, really? So, and I'm like, yeah, so instead of saying, like, these aren't the droids you're looking for, they say things like, hide your kids, hide your wife. You know, they say stuff like that. And, uh, you know, which, by the way, really concerns me. It really does. Um, but <laughs> these kids, they had, that, they had the Bible memorized. I mean, they knew it at will. And so when the angel says City of David, they're like, City of David, Micah 5. Okay, that's Bethlehem. Got it. And when he says, glory to God in the highest, okay, that's a reference to Psalm 19 and other passages that reference the Messiah. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men, that's all a reference to Isaiah chapter 9, which is a messianic passage. So all of these words that they say, all these phrases are connected to other Bible verses, which would lead them to say, this isn't just any child that's been born. This is the Christ, this is the Messiah who has been born. And the point is this, is that if you want childlike faith, here's the thing, desire to know more. I mean, just be curious. Desire to ask questions and learn more. Because childlike faith, listen, desires to learn the Scriptures, desires uh, to know what God wants them to do. And here's the thing, sometimes we're under this impression that God doesn't want to be questioned. God doesn't want us to ask the question, why? Oh, just the opposite. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the honor of kings to seek it out. So here's what will happen. Oh man, I want to know. Here's what God will do. I'm going to hide that. Why? Because there's something that will happen in us when we seek to know the answer. Because the growth many times that happens in our lives isn't even getting the answer. It's in everything that happens in the meantime in searching the answer out. And kids just have that insatiable desire to ask questions. Uh, this week, it was Thursday night, we were Thursday evening, we're in the kitchen, and um, we had made, my wife made gifts. Uh, it's like this, anyway, it's, she made gifts for all the kids in, in uh, my daughter's class. And what we ex- explained to, my do- to Mia was, listen, you're giving a gift to everyone in your class, but everyone might not give a gift to you. So that's okay. And uh, so it's not a big deal. Don't get upset. And she's like, oh, okay. And so I explained to her that the Bible says in the book of Acts, chapter 20, that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So it actually should bring us more joy when we give someone a present than when we, get, when we receive a present. And, and, so, um, and I said, so Mia, like the word blessed means happy. So really we could say that you're happier when you give than when you receive. And so she says, okay, Bobby, how much happier? And I'm like, What? She's like, yeah, well, it's, it's happier. I'm happier because I'm pretty happy when I get something, but how much happier will I be when I give something? And I'm like, I don't know. Just happier. Yeah, but how much happier? And I'm like, Mia, I have no idea. Just, I, just happier. 
She's like, yeah, but how much happier? And I'm like, Mia, I'm under the impression that it's 20 to 22% happier. And she goes, that seems like a lot. Okay, that sounds good. And, I'm, you know, and now, the, now this is a question, but I'm always like, one of the things that I look for in people in general is I just, you know, are they curious? Are they people that just that ask questions, that buy books, that look for answers? Um, that, you know, that people that are curious, that really want to grow, desire to learn more, when they get together, they don't talk about people. What they do is they get together and talk about questions. The Bible says this. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. That there's this thing. You get together. Well, you've got a question and I've got a question. And let's just kind of do this thing. You know what happens now? The iron starts sharpening iron and we start growing. Maybe we didn't even end up with an answer, but it's in the process that we found ourselves growing. And here's why these shepherds hearing this good news was so important. It was so important because God hadn't spoken in 400 years. The Old Testament had closed. The prophets had said everything that needed to be said. And now there was nothing. That's it. For 400 years until God spoke to Mary to say the baby was coming. And God spoke to the, to, um, the parents of John the Baptist. That God, and then God spoke through these angels to these shepherds. Listen, God hadn't sp- said anything. And this was a huge deal that God was talking and that God was talking to these kids. And my friends, can I tell you something that God is still speaking? Oh, an angel probably isn't going to appear in your bedroom, but God's still speaking. He's speaking through pastors and people. He's speaking through the scriptures and sermons. He's speaking through prayers of faith and faithful friends. He's speaking through all of these things. And while God isn't going to give you a new part of the Bible to transcribe, here's what he's going to do. He's talking to us if we're curious enough to listen and seek him for a response. A lot of us know Jeremiah 29:11, right? I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans of peace not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Two verses down is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jeremiah 29:13. It says this, I put it in your notes. It says, "If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. If you seek for me with all of your heart, you will find me, God says. Listen, childlike faith is always asking questions, seeking to know more, not for the sake of pride, but for the sake of understanding who God is so that we can walk with him more closely. Well, look how the story ends in verse 15. It says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go into Bethlehem to see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told concerning this child. And all who heard it marveled at the things that were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard as it was told to them. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the third thing. Well, for a childlike faith is I need to be excited by, good, by the good news. Excited by good news. Listen, when it says, uh, after they hear this in verse 15, and he says, um, let us now go to Bethlehem, that, that, just does, that let us now go is all one word in the original language. And let us now go doesn't even do it justice. Now, I don't know, can I, I know this is probably most of you. How many of you speak Spanish? Can I ask you that? 
Right, by the way, look around. That's just craziness. Um, all right. Um, but do you guys know this, right? And I, I experienced this in my life, too. You ever try to translate something like a saying or something in, that's, that's Spanish into English? It doesn't make any sense, right? It's just the weirdest thing. Like you're talking to somebody and um, you think they're lying and you say, Eso es un paquete, right? And then you, you have to explain that in English. Well, what did you do? Well, I told them, I told them it was a package. Huh, all right. Well, you found that out. You know, and, or, or we'll say, you know, somebody has like, is, somebody's just having a great day or they're on a good streak, you know, like everything's going right for them. And we'll say, oye, tú eres un reventado, you know. <laughs> what is that? Like, that makes sense in Spanish, but whoa, what did you say to him? Oh, I told him he was exploding. <laughs> because most people, when they're exploding, it's a good thing. You know, um, like uh, somebody showed me a picture. Uh, this is like a week ago. Somebody showed me a picture of what they had to eat, and, and I said, uh, we were talking, and I said, oh, yes, está de madre. And um, now, what, what does that mean? I told them, that is of the mother. <laughs> because that just makes sense. You know, or this one is like one of my favorite, this is one of my favorite ones. Um, and this is kind of an older one, but uh, like this is one that maybe more, like our parents would say. Like, if, they're, if things are really going bad, like poorly for them, they'll say, No, lo que me pasa es que yo tengo un chino detrás. They'll say something like that, which is basically trans, like, that means things aren't going well, which, basically, which translates into English, I'm being chased by a Chinese person. Um, like, it's like, it just doesn't, you know, what's that all about? You know, but, you know, we, we, we have these things and they don't translate. This saying, let us now go, it's like, it doesn't even make sense to what is happening there, okay? Um, the, the, it doesn't do it justice. That word, let us now go, in the original language, refers to someone who was running like an absolute crazy person. When they see something, so like, let us now go. That's not, the, the word literally means this. Ah! Like that kind, you know, when, your kid, when you pull up into the parking lot and your kids see the Chuck E. Cheese sign, and they're like running, that's what that word means, you know, ah, you know, they don't care about oncoming traffic, they don't care about any of that, you know, there's a bus coming, I'll go under the bus, I've got to get to that German-fested place, uh, but, you know, <laughs> see, that's what parents think, you know, like, that place is nasty, and they don't serve good food, uh, but, like, these kids, that's the kind of excitement they had when they heard that a Savior, that the Savior had been born. You see, this is the thing I think about. I mean, are we this excited about celebrating the birth of our Savior? I mean, I've been thinking about this in my own life, and, 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 and it, you know, because sometimes you get to Christmas, you're like, oh, Christmas. And we think about, like, all this other stuff, and you're like, oh, man, I just wish, and it's this, this, and that, and, 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 and really, but what, what, are we, what are we celebrating? We're celebrating the most amazing moment in human history. And listen, this, and the thing, these kids, these shepherds get so excited. And I want you to notice something in, um, in verse 17. It says, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. They saw Jesus and they started telling everybody about Jesus. And look at in verse 18, it says, and those who heard it marveled at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. 
You see, it wasn't like everybody was freaking out because, oh, these guys saw an angel. No, everybody was freaking out because they realized that they had an experience with God. God, They had encountered God in some way, that Christmas had come to them. And my friends, it changed everything. And you know what I wonder sometimes? I wonder sometimes if maybe we've become adults in the Christian faith. And we've lost some of the fire that we once had. That there's a passion that we once had that we lost. And you know why I think we lose it? Because we forgot what it's like to not know God. You see, I I became a Christian almost 19 years ago at the age of 19. And I remember, I remember being in a band on the verge of a record deal. And I remember being courted by record companies. And I remember um, all of this stuff, like all the stuff and, you know, the different merchandising deals and all this that was coming with that. And I remember like the trajectory of my life going everywhere. What I wanted ever since um, I was... 13 years old, and, you know, saw a rock video on MTV, and I thought, I would love to do that. And I bought a guitar and played until my fingers bled and all that, and and I was on the verge of a record deal, and here's what happened, is that I was about to get everything I'd ever wanted. And when I started to taste it, it was like cotton candy. You taste it, and it just evaporates, because nothing is there. And then you you try to get a bigger bite of it, and it just evaporates, because there's nothing there. And I remember that, and I remember trying to search for meaning in things and relationships and experiences and coming up empty time and time again. Listen, and then at 19 years old, I heard the gospel, the simple message of Jesus, and it changed my life. And 19 years later, it's still changing my life. And my friends, sometimes we can lose that. We can lose that. We can forget what it's like to be lost. Forget what it's like to be hopeless. But listen, if we want to keep that childlike faith, that passionate kind of faith, then we have to remember what it's like to not know God. And the Christmas story reminds us of that, that we used to be lost. It's easy to start to coast in our Christian faith with our Christian friends and think that everybody experiences, everybody's experiencing the blessing of God, right? Everybody's experiencing God show up in their life. No, a lot of people aren't because they don't know Him. Because there hasn't been anyone who's loved them enough to communicate with them. And you know what I've learned is that when I share the message of Jesus, just how God has changed my life, it reinvigorates that passion that I had in the beginning. When I was, um, uh, I had a friend in high school um, whose name uh, was uh, Steve Sue, um, and uh he was a super cool guy, and um, he became a Christian when we were in high school. And he was like the only person I knew that had actually become a Christian. Because you figure every, everyone else I knew was like, um, you know, like I grew up Catholic, so I figured everybody was that or something else. But he had actually become a Christian. Him and his family had just immigrated here from, uh, from South Korea. And so he became a Christian. He got rid of all his, his, his rock music because he just wanted to listen to Christian music. And uh, he attended a Korean Pentecostal church in, uh, in North Miami. I don't even know if it's still there anymore. Um, but I remember when we lived in Northwest Broward in Coral Springs, that's where we went to high school. And uh, I remember one time he asked me, and he, he called me up, and he said, would you, um, he said, Bob, would you come to church uh, with me? And I said, absolutely not. And he said, well, would you at least give me a ride to church? And I said, absolutely not. He said, I'll pay you $5 to give me a ride to church. And I said, what time would you like me to pick you up? And... Um, 
And uh, now I will say this, Steve was not the best evangelist in the world. In fact, I would say he was a pretty bad evangelist. Um, I remember um, he had a, like, he had a, a this kind of older Ford Mustang that he used to drive, was red. And so I remember one time he was driving me home from school or something. I forgot what the story was, but he was driving me somewhere. And I, he was driving and I was in the passenger seat. And, uh, and for whatever reason, he called everyone Brother Ra. I still do not understand why, but he would call everyone Brother Ra. And he would say, Brother Ra, I've been thinking, he says to me. And I've been thinking that you're going to hell. I'm like, what? Yeah, oh, you are. And I'm like, why would you even say that? No, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. And I'm like, listen, Steve. And I would tell him, I believe in God. And he'll go, oh, that doesn't matter. You don't have Jesus. And because you don't have Jesus, you know what that means? It means you're going to hell. He says, but don't worry. It's all right. I'm praying for you. Now get out of my car. I mean, it's pretty much like that. Um, and so Steve, I mean, pretty much any time we went out or did anything, Steve would like remind me that I'm going to hell. Uh, and I, we would have this thing back and forth. And I would say I was, and he would say I was. And we would try to agree somewhere in the middle, which kind of left us back on earth. Which Anyway, um, so, but um, he gave me a, a gift on my 16th birthday. It was a Bible. He asked me if I owned a Bible, and I told him I did not. And so he gave me a Bible, and um, he wrote an inscription. I, I don't like, you know, people like write a card or something. You don't really memorize it. He wrote something on the inside of the Bible, and I, 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 for whatever reason, I memorized it. And I've, I've uh, you know, now, more than 20 years later, I still remember what it says. It says, Dear Bob, of all the 66 books of the Bible, I pray you only find one thing, Jesus, your friend Steve. And um, uh, I came to know Jesus um, about three years later. And uh, he had left. Uh, after graduation, he went to school in Chicago. He went to college in Chicago. I stayed home to do another year of high school. Uh, that's, a, that's a story for another time. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so I remember that he was in town for Christmas. And so he was going to be at my friend Al's house. And so my friend Al calls me and says, Bob, Brother Ra's in town. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go see him. So I drive over to my friend's house to go see my friend Steve. And I'm so excited to tell him. And I see him, I'm like, Steve, I got saved. I, I came to know Jesus. God's changing my life. It was about six months ago. And I start, or seven months ago, I started telling him the whole thing. And he smiles and he goes, oh, Brother Rob, Brother Rob. You know, because I still to this day don't know why I call people that. Uh, and he says, you know, I'm not on fire for God like I used to be. You know, I started college and I just haven't found time for God in my life. And, but I'm happy for you. And, and, and I remember... I remember walking away, and, and, and it was weird because the, the emotion that I felt was fear, which is kind of an irrational emotion at first. But the re- I think the, the reason I, I, felt I was afraid was because I thought, I am so excited about how Jesus has saved me and is changing my life. And the guy who, I've never met a guy more excited about Jesus than this guy, Steve. And yet now, a couple years, a couple years removed, he's lost it. He had passion, he had desire, he had childlike faith, and now it, it, it left him. And what happens is you just, the same way it can leave him is the same way it can leave us. We can just forget what it's like to be lost. And that, my friends, is why Christmas is so important. It's a reminder to us that Jesus came into the world to save sinners like us. And that we are hopeless without him. 
that my friends, without Christ, we are relegated to a life of misery, pain, and despair with broken hearts, broken promises, and broken dreams. That's life. And yet, Christmas happened. And yet, when, and when Christmas happened, everything changed. That it was God's invitation for all of us to come to Him because the baby in the manger... 33 years later, became the man on the cross who died, the man in the tomb who was dead, and then the man who was resurrected on Easter. And my friends, that's the message that we have to keep reminding ourselves of. That's the message that's changed the world. That's the message that for many of us has changed your life as it's changed mine. And maybe um, you're here today and you're like my friend Steve that you were really passionate for God at one point in time, and then, um, but it's gone. The passion's gone, the fire's gone. Um, and, and can I tell you that that could be the very reason that God has brought you to this place today? Because God wants to bring you back to restore your relationship with Him. For you to have that childlike faith and have this incredible relationship with Him. Maybe uh, your story is a little different. Maybe your story is you're, you were like me. You know, some of us are like Steve in the, in the passenger seat of the car. Some of us were like me, where um, you know stuff about God, but you don't know God. And um, because you know the Christmas story, but you've never embraced and experienced the Christmas story, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you, like me. That all of us have fallen short of God's standards, of God's righteousness, and yet Jesus came into the world to offer salvation to every one of us, to offer forgiveness and grace and peace. And today you can come to know Him. Today you can experience the forgiveness and healing and hope that we're talking about. Why? Because of the very first Christmas, we can experience transformation, new life, and hope this Christmas. So listen, I'm going to pray in just a moment. And as I do, maybe there's some of you here who say, yeah, that's the decision I need to make. I need God to forgive me. I want to walk with Him. I want to know Him. I want to know that there's a place for me in heaven. But I, just, I, but I also want to know Him right now. And I want Him to change my life. And I want you to know something according to what the Bible says, that if you call out to Him, He will turn you away. In fact, anyone who calls out to him, the Bible says, will be saved. So let's pray together. And Lord, I want to thank you. I thank you that you haven't left us even though we've made mistakes and we've fallen and we've failed. But instead, you just consistently reach out to us. And God, my hope, my prayer is that for every person here, that we would leave this place desiring to know you more, excited about the work that you're doing in our lives. So, Lord, for those of us who know you but the passion is dwindling, Lord, may this be the moment that we rekindle that passion, that fire. God, for those of us that are here that we don't, we've never even entered into a relationship with you, we've never experienced your grace, your forgiveness, your love. May today be the day and now be the moment that we come to know you, the day that you save us. And listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed as we're praying together, um, if this is your moment, 
and you say, God, this is, this is, I want to make that decision. I want to call out to God and I, I want him to save me. I want him to forgive me. If you want to come back to him, I'm just going to have you repeat a prayer with me. And it's not a magic formula, but maybe the words will express what your heart wants to say to God. And if it's you and if you're ready, just say out loud after me. Just say, dear God, I open my heart and I invite you in. I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. I want to walk with you starting now in Jesus' name. Amen.